welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a rising star in the London music scene, bassist Isabella Burnham. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have from the UK, Isabella with us. How you doing, ma'am? Oh, I'm wonderful. How are you doing? I can't complain. Thank you for coming on. I always love having people from across the pond on. So give tell the people a bit about yourself. Oh, I'm a 22-year-old bass player and vocalist from London. Well, I'm based in now. Um, I grew up in the Caribbean, in the island of Barbados, and that's where I, like, I learned to play music. I had an appreciation for, you know, genres that are not well known outside of the Caribbean, like spooge music from Barbados and um, shango from Trinidad. And then I also had the music that my mom and dad were playing in the house, so like, lots of Earth, Wind & Fire and, you know, Parliament Funkadelic, and then you know, soul to soul, just like a whole mix of like funky, soulful music. Okay. So first thing I will ask is, so how did you get, why did you choose the bass player? I mean, choose the bass, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, so I have an uncle, um, which is actually my aunt's fiance. And one summer in 2012, I asked for a bass lesson because he is a session bass player over here in London. And um, like prior to that, I had played a little bit of piano and like I knew my way around some chords here and there. But there was always a calling to bass because there was always bass driven music played in the house. Um, so, yeah, once I picked it up, I never looked back. So it's been like a good nine years of playing. Okay. And I could be wrong, but I believe Gifton is from. Hamas, right? Uh, Trumpet uh, player. Yes. He's from yeah. there, right? I think, and Barbados as well. And Barbados. Okay, so never mind. Mm-hmm. But do you know him? I do. Okay. Do indeed. He's a sick cat, that's why. <laughs> indeed, yeah. Like, um, I'd met him, like, before I even moved to London. I came over for summer holidays just to meet and greet, like, loads of people just to make sure that I'd fit in well into the scene. And um, yeah, he was one of the first people that I met in a place called Tomorrow's Warriors, um, where he was just like playing in a session and I jumped in and ever since then we've been friends. So he's a really cool guy. Okay, That's another one of the guys I expect to have a big, big career ahead of him. Mm-hmm. So what made you choose? Well, before I get to that, I should say, so have do you played in any soca or calypso bands or anything down there? Um, I played in stuff in like college bands, um, but like that wasn't really an area of my expertise where I played. There's something called tents. Um, so every year, um, soca artists like new and old will go into tent season where they would play their latest soca track um, for like a panel of judges. And then it will go from like maybe April all the way up until crop over season, which is the first um first weekend in August. So like the last weekend of July is when like all the finals happen. Um, But I used to play in a band that we used to do a gig every Monday night and we'd play a range of things from reggae to soca to 
you know, whatever the latest pop was. Um, so that's how I like sort of earned my living and still was able to dabble in the genre. But I wasn't a hardcore soccer player. You weren't a hardcore soccer player. Okay, so what made you decide to go to the UK? Well, like both my brothers, my older brothers and like my extended family, they moved back here. And as I said, like I, I was born in London um, and then moved to Barbados when I was four. And I, yeah, I came back in when I was 19. And um, it was purely just because I felt like I was, I got enough from the Barbados scene and I couldn't get any more. I couldn't further my career anymore. It got to the point where it was either like cruise ship scene or like you play in the hotels and I want to play live and like tour the world with amazing artists. So it was a natural fit to move back to the UK and just explore all the options here. Okay. Have you ever really performed in America? No. Okay. Still yet to go there. Like I've been to Japan and South Korea um, and Africa and Europe. And those are the three continents um, that I've been to. But yeah, yet to grace the stage. I've been to Canada. But it's not the same. Not the same. <laughs> oh, well, so you performed in Korea and Japan. So expect those experience, compare those experiences compared to the UK from your point of view. Oh, like the crowds are very different wherever you tend to go. So in Japan and in, in, in South Korea, everyone was very like deeply listening to what you had to say. So there wasn't any like cheering whilst the song was going on. It was more like they were in the vibe and in the moment. And then the most glorious roar of like cheering happens like at the end of like the songs. And I, I felt like they were deeply listening versus like other crowds that are not really listening intently. They just have their beer. It's more like a social occasion and they're half listening and they're half talking. So the reception of your music is very different. But I had the pleasure of going on tour with Tom Mish and he's kind of big over there. So... I mean, he's kind of big over here too. I mean, since you brought him up already, how did you get connected <laughs> with him? Oh, that was a very interesting story. Um, so I'm glad you asked. I, it all started through Instagram. I got a message from a fellow musician. Um, he actually plays for Georgia Smith. His name is Femi Coliosa, um, a drummer. And he was like, hey, go check out this Instagram story. It says that they're looking for a female bass player that's based in London for a shoot. And then that was the only information. They said, send your electronic press kit and some press shots and, you know, you might hear back from us. So I was like, okay, I don't know who it is, but I need as much exposure as I can at this point. So I'm ready for anything. And sent it and it came back that it was a video for Tom Mish. And like, I hadn't personally heard of his music yet. This was back in 2018. Um, but then like, I heard that it was for his song, It Runs Through Me with De La Soul. And I was like, I know who De La Soul is. Oh my days, this is about to be insane. So mustered up the courage and like, I calmed my nerves down and I finally went and I met up with him and a fantastic drummer called Yusuf Days, um, who they then put out an album together um, last year. and that was just the beginning because we jammed in between the takes of the video. So we got a sense of each other and Yusuf just said to Tom, hey, you need to get her in your band, even if it's just for a dep, like you need her on tour. And he was very much like apprehensive, like, you know, I've really got a killing bass player already, but if anything comes up, then I'll sure to give you a call type thing. So when the manager said, oh yeah, you know, like we'll be in touch, maybe, I was like, okay, like, 
that's positive, but I'm probably never going to hear from these guys again because, like, that's often the way it goes. If someone says, oh, we'll get back to you, they never really do. Um, but to my surprise, so that was in September. And then in, in January, I got the call the following January saying, hey, are you free in May to go on tour? And I was like, yes, I am. So tell us one of your highlights, like one of the best parts about the tour with him. Um, I'd say playing playing in Osaka. It was in front of maybe 5,000 people. And there's one particular song where like everyone like put, got out their lighters. It's a song called Movie. And like I was playing bass and singing background vocals and the whole crowd was swaying. And it was actually in one of my friends like hometown. So she met up with me after and then like took me to like an amazing like restaurant and like we celebrated like it was just epic. Yeah, Saka's one of my favorite cities over there. But what led you into singing? Is that an Esperanza exposure? I mean, experience like vibe or you always were doing that? Um, like I'd always sung in choirs, um, like in secondary school, um, before I even picked up the bass. But I never really linked the two until like the last year of my college experience in Barbados. And um yeah, I actually heard about Esperanza for the first time through um a trumpeter. I can't remember his name, but if it does come back to me, like he was the last surviving member of um the Ray Charles band, like before he passed away like a couple of years ago. But if it does come back to me, I'll let you know. But he was like, You need to check out a cat called Esperanza Spaulding. I think you'll like her. And it was just random. Like I'd never met this guy in my life, but he'd saw he'd seen me perform. Like basically there's a show called Christmas Jazz. And um Marcus Miller was headlining along with Gerald Albright and Kirk Whalem and JT Thomas on drums. And um they called up like just some young people just to come and play percussion. And he had seen me there and he was like, Hey, you need to check out Esperanza. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> and from there I was like, Oh, not only does she sing like really, really, really well, but plays intricate bass lines underneath that are very much in conflict with each other. I don't know how she splits her brain in two to get the job done so effortlessly, but she does. And I've been trying to catch up ever since. She's just a prodigy in her own way, I have to say. But you're amazing mm -hmm. also, so. Well, thank you. Let's, actually, yeah, let's go into your album, Okay. So you have an album coming out in a few weeks, right? I do. Okay. You sent it to me. I'm thankful for that. And one <laughs> thing I could say is that this is what I want in terms of modern jazz. Because I believe no. it captures or it would, I should say, it's going to be very successful in the streaming world. I could say that. Because I could plug it in on a lo-fi playlist. I could play it on a modern jazz playlist. And a lot of people would at least listen to it because it's a, I should say experimental in terms of an electronic form. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. So, oh yeah. And also this is a, hearing this, it's like one of those albums. I know you sound better live. Hence. So it makes me want to hear you perform live. So. Oh man. What is your inspiration behind it? Who are the band members? And then we'll go from there. 
Oh, crazy. So the inspiration was like my brothers and my mom, like, because I I performed this set live at London Jazz Festival back in 2019. And then the plan was in 2020 to get enough money from like touring and stuff and pour it into the studio. But obviously COVID hit and all the gigs were gone. Um, and I was lucky enough to catch one of the last flights before all the lockdown madness happened back to Barbados. So I spent like six months there with my mom um, and my older brother. And we just started plotting really like how best can we use our time like moving forward? Like how do you get like multiple revenue streams going as a young independent artist because as we saw touring isn't the be all and end all in making money so we just started thinking and then you know that sort of tailored away when I got back and like started to do live streams again and then they said in January hey what are you doing how can we help you get this project off the ground and 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 out to the people so the, yeah, it was my my mom and my brothers that were like, "Hey, get your ass going, you know, get moving, um, and get the project out there." Um, and then I just assembled the craziest team that I could think of, and all the players that I really love to play with and always wanted to play with. So we have Sheila Maurice Gray on trumpet, and she's been killing for a long time. And she's played in her like her own stuff. And then she's played in her ensemble called Kokoroko. And she's like on Brownswood and like loads of other really cool niche London record labels. And she's just so cool. And like, ah, can you tell I like her? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, and then next we have Nathaniel Cross on trombone and like, He's played with like Solange when she was on tour over in Europe a couple years back and a rapper called Kano. And um, then we have Tom Seminar Ford, who actually plays with Chris Dave. So that was really cool that he heard my music and he was like, yeah, I'll play with you. So I was, I was so happy. And then like my, my, big, my big ones that I play with a lot, um, which is Benjamin Appiah and Lorenz Okello Asengo who play drums and keys, like, respectively. And I play with them a lot with Steam Down, which is a band that I'm also in at the moment. And, um, yeah, they're signed to, like, Deco Records, and their EP's actually coming out sometime this year as well. So I'm very excited for that. So, yeah, that's a little background on everyone. Yeah. Okay. So, first of all, let's go into the corona thing quickly. How did that affect mm. everything else? Um... So it stopped your touring, it stopped your gigs. Anything yeah. else major? Or no? Like money flow, obviously. Um, but it it shifted my thinking because I, I've come from an island into a huge city. Like there's always an expectation that I well, that I put on myself that I need to make the best out of every opportunity and just go hard because I came here for a reason, which is to pursue music. So like 2020 really taught me how to rest properly because I hadn't really been doing that. I've been just on the grind, just trying to get my name out there and yeah, just make connections with people that are genuine because that's also really hard to do, especially when people um, can get so close-minded once they're on tour. Like once they have their set people, they're not really willing sometimes to open up to new talent and to welcome in the newer generation. Um, 
I agree. Yeah. That's a, like I said, that's one of those triggering points I have. Which <laughs> people who listen know. <laughs> okay. But so you got the album together. You got the group together. How did you record it? Did you record it in person? Yeah, we all did it. Like we all had Corona negative tests. So that was really lucky. And we went into the, a studio called Pink Bird Recording Co. Who actually records for Alpha Mist and for Barney Artists, which are two like incredible London bands and um yeah we all recorded it live um like in one take that was the whole goal like we overdubbed the horns but the rhythm section is all live in the room and it yeah it was recorded five tracks over two days and then I overdubbed the vocals on on the third mm -hmm. which one of the tracks stand out the most since they're not that many I don't want to go ruin the album for everybody um I'd say um, my favorite at the moment, but it's always subject to change, um, is In Power. Um, like it starts with a bass solo. It kind of put my chops out there for the first time because I'm usually seen as a session bass player who just holds it down. Um, don't really get the chance to explore in the music too much. So I just let that side out and then like just killing groove from like when the, the horn enters um, the trombone. And what I wanted to do was explore the different textures of voice with trombone because we're kind of in the same range and sometimes a trombone can sound like a voice. So I wanted to pair that together and, and just explore that sonically. And I feel like for right now, that's my favorite track on, on the EP. Well, like I said, everyone... Be sure to check it out. I don't know if it should be touring in the States anytime soon or anytime globally, but it's definitely one to listen to. Do you have any other projects in the works? Um, I do have another one, um, but it's just solely bass and vocals um, and all the weird things that I can do with sound effects, with like playing drums on bass and like layering up lots of harmony on vocals and like... I've got a five-string bass with a high C instead of a low B, so that opens up more chordal textures and kind of enters you into the realm of like Yannick Gustala or Thundercat um, in terms of, of the chordal playing. So I'm just really excited to get this first project out there and see how well it gets received and then just use the momentum to put out my second EP. So that's quite exciting. It's going to be very different though. I mean, I believe you're doing it correctly. So I can't argue your tactics so far. Uh, did yeah. you study in the academic world? I did, but like on a, like what people say, sixth form or like college. So between 16 and 18, I'm not sure what it's called over in, in No, I understand what you mean, but yeah. So pretty much you um, went for an associate's type. Yeah, I've got an associate's degree in, in applied arts music degree. <laughs> That's what it says on the little piece of paper. Um, but I've actually got into Trinity Laban, um, which um, studying upright, which is like a relatively new instrument for me. I've only been playing it a couple of years on and off, but um, finally got one, as you can well, the, the viewers can't see, but I've got a double bass here. And um, I've just been practicing. Um, and for me, like studying at a university 
wasn't the main goal of coming to live here because I feel like studying is one thing and then actually playing live and touring is a whole different experience. So people need to know that like just because you study doesn't mean you'll end up with the most fantastic gigs ever. It's more about networking. But for me right now, with the way that COVID is happening, the way that we probably won't get back on our feet for the next year or two, like the best decision I could make was to invest in myself again and learn a newer instrument that I can add to the whole collection that I play, which is like for right now, I play electric bass, I play fretless bass and I play synth bass. So why not add double bass to the mix? But, you know, if if money was no object, then I would definitely be going to New York or coming to New York to just hang out in jazz clubs and just, you know, feel the actual presence of like what the masters did, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Like you can't really beat that. Like you can try and theoretic or theorize what's actually happened in jazz, but no one was doing that when they was actually making it. Like they were like, I've shed for like six hours now I'm going to my gig and then I go to a jam session and explore sound. It was not like, this is the only way that it's going to be done in the textbook here, mark, paragraph, no. So I don't know. I think there's going to be some subtle clashes when I get into uni of the way I might approach improvising versus how it's been taught. But I'm going to go in with an open mind so I don't get stressed. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to corrupt you, but I like that attitude. Okay, (laughs) that's good. That's a Way to go about it. Yeah. Okay. So where do you think... Well, before I do that. So mm. the thing about, at least from what I've experienced, a short time I've been in London and the music scene in general, what we hear, the jazz scene over there just in general seems a lot younger. Yeah, like there's a new jazz wave happening at the moment, pretty much thanks to an organization called Tomorrow's Warriors um, run by... Gary Crosby and Janine Irons. They are like almost the founders of like your Nubaya Garcia's and um, your Sheila Maurice Gray's and your Moses Boyd's, like all these incredible young and Theon Cross, like all of these people that are coming out on in the jazz scene over the last couple of years had their upbringing in, in Warriors. And um, I think... Yeah, jazz, you could say, like, was a quote-unquote dying art form, but it never dies. It just, you know, like, like moves shape and, like, goes in a different direction. Um, But I'm really grateful to be part of this scene right now whilst it's booming. Um, And, like, all of my friends that play music are interested in jazz because, like, it wasn't necessarily the same over in Barbados. Like, there was only a certain few that were really into jazz and then everyone else was just into soca music. So it's different. And yeah, I like that there's um, more young players because it feels more accessible versus having someone that's 60 that's been playing for 40 years and like you've been only been playing like a handful of years and you go up on the bandstand, it can be really intimidating. But it's the best way to learn, like providing that you go in with the fact that you're going to get some constructive criticism. And like, oh, when I walk into jam sessions, people always assume that I'm a singer, even though I have a bass on my back, even though I can sing, but I come to play bass and then they're like, oh, the size of your hands, like, do you play a short scale or or like what bass you play? And I play a five string 
bass, normal scale. I'm like, oh. And then they hear me play and they're like, oh, okay. All right, I see you. And then that sort of commands respect. But I feel like women in the industry, like we just get looked down upon because sometimes the media just pushes people that have a certain look over like the actual skill. And then everyone thinks that um, women can't play as a result, but that's definitely not the case. There's loads of killing people. And there's also loads of people that know how to use their looks in order to um, earn them some success. And like either way, like everyone's moving the the narrative forward and everyone can basically see more women in jazz because you can't be what you can't see. So, yeah. Well said. Okay. Can't really argue with most of that. That's also a lot of personal experience that you could face that I can't. (laughs) So where do you think jazz will be in 10 years? Um, Or where do you think you would be in 10 years? Okay. I think with the way, like, I can only speak for London jazz. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that it can definitely be more, like, experimental um and the whole cross genres between like caribbean music and jazz music it has been explored in the past but not deeply and i feel like with some of the members of the um of the scene having caribbean heritage like it's definitely i think going to move in that direction or more in like the afrofusion direction um and just everyone like hopefully being more open to share and being open to have jam sessions that are like more freeing because I know something that you don't and you know something that I don't. And if we both share, then we both get ahead because there's gigs for everyone versus having the mentality of, oh, well, I've learned this cool thing and I'm going to keep it to myself um, because I want the gig over you. And like, that can just cause bad karma and I'm not really here for it. So I'm hoping for, because the scene is pretty open now, but just for more sharing and like more open opportunities to hang out with people that you admire. Okay. You're killing these <laughs> questions really well. So I don't really have much to add here. Okay. Uh, so what other styles of music have you been on besides jazz? Anything? Um, like I've played a few bass lines on like R&B records. Um, anyone that like, we would know? Not anyone that we would know, but like I've been on, actually I've been on a Blue Note Reimagined record with Steam Down. Um, and that was just a totally surreal experience hearing both my voice and my bass line played on vinyl because that's a, that's a, that's like next level. That's like what you aspire to be. Like have, I'm so excited for the end of this year to have a physical copy of my EP in my hands. Like I can't wait to just put it on and play it. I feel like that's like when you quote unquote make it, like you've gone to the next step from being a session musician to an artist where you have your physical piece of art in your hand. And, um, you know, I'm just really, really excited. Which one do you enjoy more? Being a session musician or being your own solo self? Um, I enjoy them both. I feel like 
I enjoy playing sessions because it's less stress on me. I just get told where to turn up and then catch vibes and then leave um, and get paid. Versus like when you're a solo artist, especially like in the early stages, you're managing everything from your administration point of view and your your own like producer, you're your own like publisher. So there's lots of other things that take away from your creativity in order to pursue your creativity. Um, so for right now, I want to continue like building up my session profile and discography like and getting to meet and greet and play with amazing people so that then when like my solo career starts to pick up, like I feel like I have more revenue streams to come through because like, if I play on a, an album that's like making like loads of like sales, then I have like residual income from there that I can then pump into my music. So like the end goal is to play my own music. But for right now, I'm really comfortable with dipping my toe into the artistry and be like, mm, let's see what happens next. But still have the fallback of playing sessions and playing live. But between like playing sessions and live, live is my favorite right now. And like I'm 22 and I feel like I can tour for like until I'm 30. I'll just get all the touring bug out of my system and then only tour with people that I actually like or tour by myself. So that's the goal whilst like slowly building up session profile name because then that's what I'll switch to or that's the plan. <laughs> Whether it all goes to plan or not is the question, but that's the direction I'm trying to head. Live until I'm tired and then session and my own stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, this is, would you believe me if I said you're far more mature than the average 22-year-old musician? Everyone says I'm 22 going on 40. I think the, you're the think. better than most 40-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so what is your dream project? Ooh. No barriers. Budget's not an issue. Universal London says you can use any one of our artists. Oh, I mean, I would love to play um, and collaborate with an artist called Corinne Bailey Ray. Like, it's been my dream, um, like something that I've been aspiring towards since I've got here because she was my childhood. She was my teenage years, just listening to her. And then another artist, her name is Leanne Le Havis. Like, if I can collaborate and play with her and like go into like a really, really crazy studio like Metropolis or um, Abbey Road. And we all record the way that I think music is supposed to be recorded, which is all live, all in one take. Cause like you just get that energy that translates across the record that you can't really get if everyone's all across the world. But then it's like, it's different. So it's like different engineering types and different um, ways to view the music. But that's definitely my dream. Like either one of those incredible artists I'd like to collaborate with. So I'm just putting that out there. If anyone knows how to get in contact with Leanne Havis, or if anyone knows how to get in contact with Corinne Bailey Ray, you let me know. Okay. Hopefully someone reaches out to you on that. So what is the best compliment you have ever received? Um that they someone really loved my tone. Like, and the way that I supported the artist. And I feel like that's just a beautiful compliment because it's in the intricate details that some people find mundane that I really get excited about because like there's different points 
and the bass to play the same note, but it doesn't resonate the same way. So I spend hours finding the best possible, or I have spent hours finding the best possible place to play a bass line to make it feel and connect with you. So there's a lot of thought that goes into playing a simple bass line. And when someone like acknowledges that, I, I, I love it. Yeah, I know people are going to be like, why am I not beating down on this girl? Because uh, she, <laughs> she's genuinely a sweetheart, as you can see. <laughs> okay, so are there any jazz artists you want to give a shout out to? Um, yeah, like, I'd say like there's this spot that plays for like ghost notes. Like he's like on the cusp of like playing jazz. He's not like heavy into swing. But like I think he's really cool, and I would just love to groove with him, and and like Nate Smith as well. Like they're both like incredible like pocket drummers that I would just like sit and get schooled by just like playing the same bass line over and over. That would be sick. Um, but in terms of ones that would really push me, like if I could sit in a masterclass between like, uh, like Taylor Carrington, Esperanza Spaulding, and um, like. Layla Hathaway and just like see them converse if I could be a fly on the wall with them in a rehearsal that that would make me so happy okay I mean like I said <laughs> you never seen any of them perform in person um I've seen Layla Hathaway perform in person and like I've conversed with Terry Lynn Carrington like over email but it's definitely not the same thing yeah. And I've never met Esperanza or Terry Lynn Carrington. So, but you know, there's time. Oh, there's tons of time. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm pretty sure sooner or later you will. Okay. So before we go, we normally yes. like to give a shout out, show respects to the artists who came before us. So I'm mm -hmm. going to tell you an instrument and two artists. Choose okay. one and tell us why. So on trumpet, Kenny mm -hmm. Baker or Winton Marcellus? I've got to go with Winton. I know it's controversial because, like, of what he's been saying in the media for the last couple of years. Um, but there's something about his tone and, like, the fact that he's done his 10,000 hours plus. And, like, he's definitely, like, a student of the genre of jazz, like, from both, like, hard bop into modern eras. And, like, you can tell that... That's his love. And like, he's really put his a thousand percent into it. So for that reason, I've got to choose Winton. Okay. On saxophone, Stan Gass or Cannonball? Ooh. Why you make this so hard? You can make it harder if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I've got to go with Cannonball Adderley. Like, I just love his work on like the Miles Davis records and um, yeah, like who doesn't want to hear him play? <laughs> okay. On keys, Art Tatum or Duke Ellington? Mm, it's got to be Duke. It just has to be. Like, his, his tone, like, influenced a generation. Like, I mean, arguably both did, but, yeah, Duke all the way. 
Okay. <laughs> On drums, Max Roach or Buddy Rich? Max Roach. <laughs> Max Roach. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm Buddy Rich all the way, but okay. Max Roach, good to see you. And I'm bass. Ooh. Mm. Ray Brown mm. or Esperanza? I've got to go with Ray, with Ray Brown. Like, again, like, like him... He's just so iconic. Like, I've even got one of his books on my shelf, The Bass Method. Like, that's... Oh, yeah. You literally have it right there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> fine then. Uh, hmm. I should make it... Okay, Ray Brown <laughs> or Nathan uh, East? Oh, okay. Now, that's hard because they're so different. Like one's like session, well, they're both like session bees. I'd say for volume of records, like Nathan East takes it. Like you don't even know that it's him. Like he's played on thousands upon thousands of records. Um, but like his his tone is like a chameleon versus like Ray Brown. He's like, he has his signature tone. So no, that's that's really difficult. I don't know. I'm undecided. Give me a second. Um, okay. Final answer. Nathan East. Okay. Nathan East it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, Isabella, can you tell everyone your social media, your websites, how to contact you, etc.? Yes, indeed. Um, I'm most social on Instagram right now. And my handle is at Isabella.Burnham. That's I-S-O-B-E-L-L-A dot B-U-R-N-H-A-M. And there you can find like a whole host of things. Like I'm really grateful for all the people that endorse me over there. So like I play Sire Basses and they're incredible. It's backed by Marcus Miller. And um, I play with Boss Pedals and Cosmic Inner Monitors and rotor sound strings and like they've all been very very helpful over the past year especially supporting me like checking in like telling me about all these new exciting gear that I could try out so I'm really grateful but yeah just head over to Instagram and then there's a link tree in my bio which then will take you to all my streaming platforms and to Bandcamp so and that's where, where can that. they find your album they can find it on Spotify they can find it on Apple Music, on Deezer, Tidal, Napster, wh- whoever uses Napster, <laughs> um, Bandcamp, yeah, everywhere. Okay. Well, everybody, our lovely guest from the UK, Isabella, thank you for joining us, ma'am. Thank you for having me. And once again, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you and have a good night. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.